my best to, and Belinda's going to help on this, she's going to keep time for me, uh, to get us out of here because I know many of you men are hoping to get somewhere quickly to a restaurant so you get a good table, so you can provide lunch for your for your uh, wife who uh, also is probably uh, your children's mother. And so I want to, uh, to, to get you out as soon as we can so you get a good seat and good chips and salsa or wherever you're headed. But I do, do want to warn you, as we talked about the first week, as we talked about Malachi, uh, Malachi's name means my messenger. He's a messenger of the Lord. And he begins with this, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And if you remember, the word oracle, the Hebrew word for oracle means a burden. Malachi is burdened with this message from the Lord. It is a weight upon his shoulders that he is bearing, that he's going to share uh, with the people who belong to the Lord. And as we talked about last week and the week before, these messages, these disputes that the people of God are having with God are real life disputes, things that we still struggle with today. As we talked about last week, second-rate worship or second-rate sacrifices and half-hearted worship, we see that often. And then we get to this passage in Luke, or Luke Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, and we hear about uh, family life. We hear about particularly sin in the family and brokenness in these families and how feelings are getting in the way and that fe- these feelings that are getting in the way are causing these people of God to break covenant in two different ways. They're breaking covenant with God and they're also breaking covenant with, with each other. And so we have to look at this morning that our treatment of our horizontal covenant life meaning covenant life upon this earth, is a shadow of our vertical covenant life, meaning our covenant with the Father. So the way that we treat covenant life upon this earth, is it should be or is a shadow of how we treat our, our vertical covenant life, or our covenant life with the Father. And we're seeing within these, this, this section of Scripture that it's the broken family that's leading to a broken community, that's leading to a broken nation, that's leading to a broken world. We see that from the very beginning in the uh, creation story. We see the, the brokenness that comes in, the rebellion that comes in, the sin that enters in into the first family. And with that, with that broken family, then sin, ruling and reigning, so it seems, begins to uh, trickle down into the offspring. And those offspring are ungodly in their actions, and so sin looks as if it's ruling and reigning in our world still to today. And so we have to look at the family, and we have to say if healthy, healthy families would then equal a healthy church. So if we had healthy families within our church, then we're going to have a healthy church. And if we have healthy churches in our community, then the hope is that we'll have a healthy community. And if the community has healthy churches and healthy families, and it's healthy, then hopefully our nation or our state would be a healthy state and a healthy nation. And then that would translate into a healthy world. But we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that in today's world. We're seeing instead broken families. Let me read to you some statistics from CYFD here in the state of New Mexico, some things that just might, I want to bring to your attention. In 2018, CYFD received 112 calls per day. 112 calls per day, per day. Some of you get three calls from the same student loan company or three calls from the same warranty company and you get frustrated about it. Can you imagine receiving 112 calls about some sort of chill, ch- family, children, domestic, whatever the case may be, some kind of issue within the family and the state is receiving or received in 2018 112 calls a day, which led to 22,941 investigations. 
22,941 investigations that CYFD did last year here in the state of, of New Mexico. There are only, there are only 1,300 foster homes, licensed foster homes in the state of New Mexico. And there's, uh, in one, in one given month last year, there was 4,650 kids in foster care. That doesn't translate well, does it? We're seeing a broken society. We're seeing a broken state within, which, which then translates into a broken nation and a broken world. So how do we fix this? Think about this, the irony behind this. Okay, There's some irony that you're about to hear. Uh, when you look at divorce rate just in our, in our uh, state, we, we kind of are, are along with the average of the rest of the state. Uh, and then when you break that down and you want to know where, where are the towns that are like the capitals of divorce, like where the most divorced people are living. Where Where is this town? Each state has these towns. They have a top ten list of like where uh, most people that are divorced are living within uh, within that town. Can you guess what town that is by average, by a percentage here? Which town in New Mexico has the highest divorce rate? It's 26.8, by the way. 26.8 people of uh, percentage of this uh, people living in this town are divorced. You're probably thinking Santa Fe or Albuquerque because that's a corrupt world, right? Corrupt, corrupt place. The, the number one place, the number one city, this is the irony, the number one city in our state that has the highest divorce rate is truth or consequences. How ironic is that? I don't even get it. You can't make that stuff up. <laughs> broken families translates to broken churches and broken communities and broken states and broken nations in a broken world. If Adam and Eve would not have rebelled, the hope would be that things would be healthy, sin-free, holy. But instead, they rebelled, sin into the world, and through that, we now have broken families. The hope that we have is this, that we have Christ living in us. Jude 24 and 25 says that he can keep us from standing, stumbling and present us blameless before the Father. So we rest in him. Our identity is in Christ and his completed work. So we do have hope. Though our relationships, though marriages, though other relationships, church life, whatever it may be, may be messy, we still have hope in Christ. And with that, we can trust that with our imperfections in Christ, we are being made perfect, and so we trust in Him and Him alone. So, this section of Scripture, Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16, talk about two different covenant uh, pieces of covenant life covenant life with God and covenant life with people. So, this is one of the only disputes within Malachi that, uh, that the Lord brings life to this horizontal uh, vision where you're looking at the relationship that you have with other people upon the earth. Most of the time in Malachi, we're looking at our, our relationship, our vertical relationship, our relationship with the Father. But in this particular dispute, he makes it about not just life or covenant life with him, but he also looks at covenant life with other people. Let me read this to you, starting in verse 10. Have we not all one Father? This, uh, this Hebrew word one is mentioned four times in this short section, so it's probably pretty important. Have we not all one Father? And has not one God created us? So, so first of all, uh, God is looking and trying to point us to a good memory. 
that we would not be forgetful in who our Father is and who created us. I love one pastor said, forgetfulness leads to faithlessness. So if we are forgetful, if we forget our covenant, if we forget the covenant that we have with the Father, and then also play that out in our, in our daily life, our horizontal life, if you forget the covenants that we've made upon this earth, those, that forgetfulness will lead to faithlessness. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless? Underline, circle, highlight that word. It's mentioned five times in this section. It means treacherous. It means deceitful. It means corrupt. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Verse 11, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And verse 13 says this, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one? with a portion of the Holy Spirit in their union, and was the one God seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to your wife, to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Or some, uh, some translations say, the Lord, the God of Israel, says that he hates divorce. And him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. It begins with this statement about faithlessness, and it ends with this statement about not being faithless, that we would keep this covenant life, that we would not turn away from God and be faithless people. Deuteronomy 32 says this, verses 4 through 6, it reminds us of who the rock is. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he, and we are being transformed into his likeness. So we must not turn away from God and be faithless, but instead we must be different from that, allowing Christ to work in our lives, transforming Him, transforming us into His likeness, and therefore our vertical covenant life will then bleed over into our horizontal covenant life. This word faithless, this Hebrew word, but God, uh, it means acting treacherously, faithless, deceitful. Originally, it meant taking a garment of someone else, like you stealing or cheating, swindling someone else out of their garment. It soon became a, a word, a, a tradition to, to use this term to, uh, to, give, uh, to describe other acts that were impro improper within particularly the setting of uh, the people of God, the community composed of partners in the covenant they had with God and with other people. It meant a cheating, a swindling of gullible people, a defrauding of the poor or the helpless. All these people were, were called these begetting or garmenting people. They were people who were stealing these things, cheating people out. They were faithless. They were acting treacherously. They were deceitful. And the Lord uses this term with the people. He says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Then why then are you these cheaters, these swindling people, these defrauding people, these, these people who are, who are defrauding the poor or the helpless? Why are you being these begetting people, these people who are acting in a treacherous way? Those are fighting words. 
Husbands, can you imagine your wife coming to you and saying the same thing? Hey, you know what? You're acting treacherously towards me. You're stealing from me. You're, you're cheating on me. You're swindling me. You're doing all these things. You're not helping me. You're hurting me. The Lord is speaking to the people of God, particularly about their covenant with him. Look at what you're doing. And what are you doing? Well, you're profaning my name. You're profaning the covenant that I have with you. Deuteronomy 32, again, verses 18 through 20. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Are we not all one and having one Father who has created us, who's given us birth? The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom there is no faithfulness. So they've been called out on this before, the people belonging to God. And yet they didn't respond in a way that glorifies the Father. and said they stayed in their same old ways. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, verse 11 says, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. What is this faithlessness? What is this abomination that's, that's happening? For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. It's profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So what will happen? Verse 12 says, May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob and any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord. So again, this is what's happening. The people of God, and the Lord gives these two examples, the people of God were called to be faithful to him, faithful to the covenant that he has established between them. And they were not doing that. And then on the other hand, they were also not being faithful to the covenant they had made between each other. People of God, let's say in our context, Christians, those following the Lord, those confessing Christ as Lord, not keeping covenant with the Lord, nor keeping covenant with other Christian believers. Now we can, we can only keep these covenants by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has called us to keep these covenants. He's called us to be a faithful people, not to be known as a faithless people, but instead to be known as a faithful people, faithful to our covenant with him primarily, and then faithful to our covenant with others as well. Both of these actions, uh, these actions that he's calling out here, are actions against covenant life. We, we can't just say that this is just about marriage, earthly marriage, or earthly divorce. We have to see that we're part of a, a bigger story here. We're part of a grander story Life just isn't about just your marriage or your divorce. Instead, it's about covenant life in the Father. And then us in this new covenant life with the Father, this new agreement life with the Father, in that our life upon this earth changes in every situation. So in this case, unity should have been coming through through this one Father that the people of God had. Yet instead, the opposite was happening. It was not unity. It was disunity. It wasn't faith in the Lord more. But instead it was faithlessness. It was occurring among the people. They were pretending to be one thing, but they actually were something else. Peter Adams says this, One of the saddest features of human nature is that when we find something wonderful, we are tempted to bring it down to our level. So think about the most wonderful thing you've ever seen or heard or learned about. Maybe it is the Father. And so what do we want to do with him? We want to bring him down to our level and make him like us. 
And so we inscribe our names, Peter Adams goes on to say, we inscribe our names on precious buildings or special places. We want to read about the trashy side of famous people, bringing them down to our level, and we want to simplify matters that are rightly demanding. So we do these things, unfortunately, to our loss. And then, in all that, we do the same thing to God, to our peril. So in this case, when the Lord is talking about covenant life, he's saying your covenant horizontal life the life, the covenant life that you have with people up on this earth is now bleeding over into your vertical covenant life. And the fact that you're not keeping covenant life upon this earth is giving us a mirror image of how you're not keeping covenant life vertically with the Father. And so it is a real, a major heart issue. An issue that can only be changed by the Spirit of God. That we should be saying, Lord, change us, transform us into your likeness. Here's what we do. We like to take verse 11, for Judah has been faithless and, has, and an abomination and has been uh, committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married daughters of foreign gods. So we like to take this and think it's uh, about race. This is not about racism. This is about idolatry. This is about God's commandment of that you shall have no other gods before me. And when you make a horizontal covenant with someone who is an idolater, someone who is worshiping something that is not God, that bleeds into your life. You've now caused uh, this, uh, uh, you've blended the lines together. There's no more drawn line between who is worthy of worship and who is not. Your horizontal covenants reveal who is Lord of your life. Who is Lord of your life? This covenant word means berith. Uh, this, I mean, it, it means like a alliance or a pledge or a treaty. And so when we are making covenant upon this earth, we're making agreements or pledging to one another, that then translates in how we treat our covenant with the Father. Foreign God, marrying someone uh, that's worshiping a foreign God, is an abomination because it is idolatry. And idolatry steals glory from God. It puts someone else's name in competition with his. I love uh, one author says that idolatry is an assault against the character of God. God, we know that you're great. And we know that you're slow to anger and merciful and gracious. We know that you're abounding in love. But I'd rather worship these things that are not. Your character is great and all, but these things are equally as great. And so idolatry begins to trickle in as we marry a foreign, uh, someone who's worshiping a foreign god and we break covenant with the Father. How have we profaned the sanctuary of the Lord? We've taken what he has called holy and we've made it unholy. We've taken what he's called righteous and we've made it unrighteous. We've taken what he's called uh, that's supposed to be a, a mirror image of life in him and we've made it about us. It goes on to say in verse 12, And the second thing you do is you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offspring or accepts it with favor from your hand. This is a funny statement here, the people of God, because I've done this. Like, Lord, I'm living this life. I know I have this side hustle going on, but I'm living this life, and I'm trying my best to do things that I'm supposed to do. Why aren't you showing favor to me? And so I begin to cry. Aren't I worthy of you showing favor to me, Lord? Look how great I am. Like, I haven't done these things. Yeah, but you're doing these things. You're giving me second-rate worship or second-rate sacrifices or half-hearted worship. You're breaking covenant with me because you're putting idols above me. And then I go crying and weeping to his, to his altar, let's say. 
And I'm wondering why he's not taking my tears and doing something without it. Look how much tears have been flowing down. Don't you see how, how sorrowful I am? Yes, but there is no change. Still, idolatry reigns in your heart. Still, you have broken covenants. Still, you worship something other than the one true God. Uh, what's happening here? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 14 talks about these women who are weeping at the temple gate. This same type of scenario. They were covering the altar with tears. This wasn't a command of worship. The Lord didn't say, uh, bring an unblemished lamb to the altar, sacrifice it, plus your tears, and then I will forgive you. It wasn't a command or a requirement of worship. Instead, it was they were bringing in a tradition from another from another religion. Some scholars believe that it was uh, within cultic traditions to go and weep and cry and put your tears on the altar, expecting that the God that you're worshiping would respond to your sorrow or your tears. What's happening? It's an encroachment, an encroachment of foreign cults or teachings or religion, which then translates or leads to idolatry and unfaithfulness. Think about it in our context today. How many of you, and this may, this may really hurt, but how many of you have worshipped the Lord and said that the worship of the Lord was great because you were moved to tears? The Lord is talking about in this case, in this covenant life, covenant life is not about your feelings. It's not about your emotions. It's about truth that comes with consequences if you're not following the truth. It's not about your emotions or your feelings, as we will see in just a moment. Feelings get in the way, and we allow our feelings to lead us in daily horizontal life. The truth is we must be trusting not in our feelings, but instead in the one true God and what he has commanded and what he has made known. And the things that we know about him that we can rest in daily, trusting in him and him alone. Verse 12 again, or verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So I would say this morning, this, examine your heart. Have you done this? Have you said, Lord, look how great I am. Look at my sorrow. Look at my grieving over this pain. Look at my feelings within my worship of you. Please accept this. Even though I have a side hustle going on, please still accept and, and then accept my worship and then return favor to me. Again, the gospel is not that you would do something and that the Lord would extend favor to you. The gospel, this is the good news, is that no matter what you do, the Lord is giving you favor, showing you grace, giving you mercy because of who he is, because of his character. And then with that, as we're being transformed in him, praise God, because of the gospel, as we're being transformed into his likeness, we then model that to the rest of the world. We become uh, these, this shadow. We become this mirror reflecting what the Lord has done in us and is doing in the world so that other people might also find hope in God and God alone. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? Why does he not show us favor? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. See, the, the men in this particular case were being led by their feelings. And let's just say they got tired of the wife of their youth. And so they decided through feelings, not by a commandment of the Lord or out of obedience or to the glory of the Father, but they decided to be led by their feelings, divorce their wife, and marry someone else. In particular, they were marrying women of, uh, who were worshiping foreign gods. God was not getting the glory out of this situation at all. 
See, your marriage matters in proclaiming the name of the Lord. In this particular case, these men were making their marriage all about themselves. Well, of course, when Mary married me, she, uh, when Mary, when Mandy married me, she took on my last name. It's about our last name. Our marriage is about my last name, right? Well, that's a terrible story. If the goal of our marriage is just to stay married and stay married until one of us dies and then celebrate that, that's still a terrible story. But if we look at the grand story, if we look at all of eternity, who should be getting the praise, whose name should be getting the recognition for our marriage, it should be the Lord. If it's just about us, our feelings get in the way every day. Every day our feelings get in the way. But because our marriage is not about us, your marriage shouldn't be either. Our marriage should be about proclaiming the name of the Lord. Our marriage, just like your life, Covenant life upon this earth, all of it, but in marriage in particular, should be a gospel representation of what the good news truly is. Representing what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. When Mandy forgives me for my wrongs, we can tell, say to our kids, Mandy, your mom has forgiven us just like the Father has forgiven us. When, it, when I do the same thing, which is very few times that I've had to, had to extend forgiveness, well, when I have to extend forgiveness, it's the same, it's the same thing. The marriage shouldn't be about my last name or my name or my spouse's name, but it sh instead it should be about the name of the Lord. See, these foreign women were still idolater, idolaters. So these men were divorcing and marrying idolaters. They married unholy Women, which led to producing ungodly offspring. Verse 15, did he not make them one, this covenant union, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And was this the one God seeking godly offspring? Again, back to the creation story. Adam and Eve, rebellion happened. And what happened to their kids? What happens to their sons, Cain and Abel? Were they producing godly offspring? No, they were not. The purpose of your marriage is to produce godly offspring. Maybe that means physically that you are producing and making disciples through the children that, the God, that God gives to you. Or maybe it's through your influence of the world that people would see that your marriage is proclaiming the name of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. We think that this passage, again, is about earthly marriage and about earthly divorce because mostly we think everything is about us. This marriage is about me. This passage is about me. This church is about me. This Bible is about me. The truth is it's not. It's not about my marriage. It's not about me. It doesn't belong to me at all. In fact, when we made covenant vows, Mandy and I, our vows were to the Lord, not to one another. If it is to one another, we will fail in that. But trusting in the name of the Lord and making covenant vows before the Lord, saying, Lord, we want this to belong to you, then in our failure, he's still glorified because it's his, and his name is still being proclaimed. Again, we think this passage that the Lord hates divorce. We think that this is about us. And they are not. Your marriage, your divorce, it's not about you. It should be about Jesus. Hopefully divorce never happens. But if you have divorced, 
Quit finding your identity in it and find your identity in Christ and let him be glorified despite your previous actions. Let him be glorified in how he's forgiven you of your sins. I figured no one would say amen to that. Verse 16, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in spirit and do not be faithless. Remember back in the beginning when the Lord called these these people garment stillers? Remember when he called them garment stillers? He said, why then are we faithless? This Hebrew word, this word that means treacherous, corrupt. This mean this this term that became a term that we labeled people with who were who were stealing and cheating, who were faithless, who were corrupt, who were treacherous, who were stealing these garments. What's happening in verse 16? For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, he covers his garment with violence. The stolen garment he covers with even more sin. Because when we sin, we fall into this entrapment of sin and we get entangled in it and it gets more and more a web of sin and we cannot get out of it until the Lord rescues us from it. The way we treat horizontal covenant life is a shadow of our vertical covenant life as well. As soon as my feelings change, as soon as things don't go my way, as soon as I don't get the answer prompt enough, or as soon as you point out my sin, as soon as my, my, my hobbies come into question or my motives come into question, etc., as soon as I don't like this anymore, if that's how I treat all of covenant life on this earth and I flee from it, Surely, I will do the same with the Lord. Surely, when I look at our covenant between the Father and I say, Lord, I know that you've made ultimate sacrifice for me, but do you see how good I am? Do you see how many times I've been here? Do you see how many times I've read how much scripture I know? Do you see how holy and righteous I am? And the Lord doesn't return favor upon my actions. Then I begin to wonder about the covenant I have with the Father. Is this covenant really worth it? I'm treating my covenant with the Father that he has established the same as I treat the covenant that I have upon this earth and treat it all in regards to my feelings. Think about this, four stages of marriage. It's all based around feeling and war. Four stages of marriage. Number one is the discovery or the rescue plan where you go and discover the new nation or the new country and you're going to rescue the person from that. And so you say, you know what? I see the pit that they're in. They need to be rescued. I'm going to be the one that rescues them. Uh, maybe it's in high school or college or wherever it was. And so you began to, uh, to woo this person. Do you know how great I am? Do you see all my great characteristics? I want to rule over you, which then leads to, because it was a great wooing time, it leads to the second stage of marriage, which is called the engagement stage where you uh, you decide to that you're going to get married you're going so that you ask the question hey uh, we need to find out in the next few months during our engagement who's going to conquer who we're in war we're going to battle I'm giving you this ring because we are now engaged in battle who is going to conquer who and then we decide on who that's going to be who's going to be the ruler of our marriage and so then we uh, stand in front of people or in front of a judge or whoever it may be and we make our wedding or our covenant vows to one another and in those vows we say things like uh, till death do us part, sickness and health, uh, despite dirty underwear, whatever vows you made, okay, uh, we, we, you make these vows. And then the wedding ceremony is over, and then the marriage begins. The final stage of marriage is marriage, 
where one plus one equals one, and you have this new covenant life. You formed a treaty between each other. This is how it's going to work. There, there were many other people that could have been conquered, that I could have gone into battle with, that I could be married to, but instead we made a treaty between one another, and now we are married. And so daily, what do we do in marriage? We remind each other that the war is over. We remind each other that the war is over. A treaty has been formed. A treaty has been signed. We've made covenant vows to one another. And how we treat this horizontal covenant life should be a shadow of our vertical covenant life as well. Think about this. The Lord saw you and said there needed to be a rescue of you, a conquering of you. And so he engaged in battle. He sent his son to come and to conquer sin, to rule and to reign over you and I. And he made this covenant vow between us that everything that his son has done, the life that he lived upon this earth was perfect, holy, righteous, and acceptable to the Father. And so because of that, Nothing that I have done, but because of the covenant that has been made between the Father and the Son, now I'm clothed in His righteousness. The treaty has been signed with His blood. I'm now in covenant relationship with the Father through the Son because of all the things that the Son has done. One plus one equals the Son. Not me. It's not about me or my name, but instead it's all about the Father. The covenant that I have... with him through the Son. The treaty signed with the blood of the Lamb. And daily, as I preach the gospel to myself and so do you, we remind each other that the war is over, that Christ has conquered, that he has completed, that he is Lord over all, that he is worthy of being Lord over you, and so we keep our covenant with him, and then with that right covenant with the Father through the Son, clothed in Him and our identity in Him alone, then daily, in our regular horizontal covenant life, it's no longer a shadow lingering over us, but instead it's a mirror, a reflection, as we're being transformed into the likeness of the Son. So husbands can love their wives as Christ loves the church because they're mirroring Christ. Let me just end with these words. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Verse 2 says this, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. I doubt that many of you had this in premarital counseling. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And verse 7 says this. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Every bit of your life should be a reflection, a mirror image 
reflecting the covenant you have between yourself and the Father through the Son, which also translates into your marriage, into your work, into your friendships, into your church life. This covenant that we have with the Father should reflect and transform our life upon this earth. The point of this section is the people of God were allowing their earthly life to transform their covenant with the Father. Their feelings, their thoughts, their emotions, their desires changed their covenant between the Father. Begin worshiping things of this world instead of worshiping the one true God. And so we have to say, God, please break us. Transform us into your likeness. Let us see our covenant with you as priority so that our covenant with you then is reflected in our covenant with other people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to be transformed into your likeness. Help us in this moment to respond in obedience to you and to you alone. God, help us to see your worthiness. Help us to see that we, when we are faithless, when we break covenant with you, God, you show us mercy and grace and you forgive us. So God, let us live in light of that, but also with urgency and mostly with fear of who you are. God, let, let our actions glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.